0: It's a long walk from four pews back, and, uh, <laughs> and for many moments in my life, one of my favourite films is The Wizard of Oz, and I always seem to be able to relate it to what I'm going through at a particular moment. And I think if this was The Wizard of Oz this morning, it would be that moment when Dorothy turns to Toto and says, we're not in Kansas anymore. So, <laughs> bear with me as we, <laughs> as, as we reflect on our reading this morning. Okay, so we're going to have to use a bit of our imaginations this morning. Um, scary, I know, but let's just bear with me. Picture the scene, if you will. It's, I toyed with whether to use this illustration or not. It's a Christmas story, and then I looked at the weather coming down this morning and thought, well, it looks like Christmas, so we may as well. So picture the scene, if you will. It's the 1st of December, 1995, and a young boy stands in his living room with his mother and sister watching the countdown for the Belfast Christmas tree lights being switched on on the television. And I don't know about you, but we have a family tradition where on the 1st of December, we always put up our tree, and as they're counting down, we turn on our lights as well because we think we're that special. So picture the scene, 10, 9, 8. Who is that man and woman on the screen? 7, 6, 5, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Four, three, two. Who are they, the young boy wonders? But people are shouting and screaming their names, so they must be important. One switch on. A love affair began that night. Fast forward to 2008. The young boy is now studying in Dublin, and it's the primary season uh, in the United States as they seek to choose a presidential nominee or candidate for most of the parties. There's that woman again, the boy thinks. But this time, he kind of knows who she is. In fact, he's kind of wanting her to win. Well, more than wanting her to win, arguing with anyone that tells him that she's not going to. Barack Obama is indeed a bad name in his apartment. (laughs) Things don't go his way. Picture the scene, his wall is covered with the map of the United States. He's mapping out all the primary results. Could she creep in? I don't know, she might not. But one thing strikes him as he watches the coverage on the TV. After telling the people what they believed, what they stood for, and what they could do for them, and the speech was over. The camera would often follow whether it was Barack Obama, John McCain or Hillary Clinton as they came down from the stage and spent time shaking hands with people at the sidelines. People seemed to have a desire to touch or to come into close contact with the person they thought would be their next president. They tell me this is not a new sensation. Indeed, when Bobby Kennedy ran uh, for the presidency himself, after some of his campaign rallies, his hands would actually have blood on them and his shirt would be torn. Two years move on, 2010. Hillary isn't president, she's secretary of state, and she's coming to Queens. Crowds gather, SUVs, tinted windows, specialist police officers descend this time the boy is now a man but who knows what that really is anyway and the hand he sees her in the crowd and thinks if only I could get close he does get close in fact he has a friend that works at Queen's he actually gets to meet this woman who has turned his world upside down we shake hands she moves on to someone else I leave in a bit of a hi, a bit of a buzz. After that, friends are wrong. You'll never guess who I've just touched. But then he walks to the tree and slightly deflated. That encounter didn't change him. It didn't alter him. It didn't even turn his world upside down in the way he thought he would or she, it would. Yet in our reading this morning, we encounter a woman who doesn't even have to touch someone's hand, just their robe, and her world is shaken to its very core and she leaves completely a different person she goes from surviving to living in the passage we have just shared we see mark use one of his trademark um strategies of telling one story and then interrelating another first we hear of jarius the synagogue leader and his daughter who has died but yet we get this story of this woman. Both of them could hardly be any different, obviously in terms of sex, status, public recognition, and even in the manner of ministry Jesus uses with them. But I want to set that first story aside this morning and just go on a journey with the woman in the story. Let's just try for a couple of moments to put ourselves in her position. We're going to have to use our imaginations again. I invite you to take a look at your hand. Look at your hand. Goodness, you can really see how much I've bitten my nails. Um, (laughs) Take a moment to carefully examine it. Really look at it. Look at the back and then the palm. Notice each of your fingers run your thumb over your knuckles. I suppose What if this morning somebody was to make a film about the life of your hand? I'm sure, like most of you, and all of us, that we begin with a close-up of a tiny infant's uh, fist wrapped around a mother's finger. Then what? Holding onto a chair as you learn to walk, handling a spoon as you learn to eat. We aren't even too long into the feature before we see your hand even being affectionate, stroking a daddy's face or petting a puppy. Nor is it long before we see your hand act aggressively, pushing big brother or yanking back a toy. All of us learn from an early age that the hand is suited for more than survival. It's a tool of emotional expression. The same hand can help or hurt, extend or clench, lift someone up or shove someone down. Then, if you were to show that documentary to your friends, I'm sure you'd be proud of certain moments. You know, those moments where you've given someone a gift or you've placed a ring on somebody's finger or you've doctored a wound or you've prepared a meal. Moments when you think, you know, yeah, I'm quite a good person. But then there's those other scenes. Those shots of accusing fingers, abusive fifths, hands taking more than giving, demanding instead of offering, or wounding rather than loving. There's a great power in our hands. But for a moment this morning, can you see that woman's hand? To see it, you would probably have to look low, because she's right down on the bottom of the priority list. She's low on the social scale. Can you see it? Her hand, gnarled, thinned, diseased. Dirt blackens the nails and stains the skin. Look carefully among the knees and feet of the crowd. They're walking after Jesus. She's scampering after Christ. He walks, she crawls. People bump her, but she doesn't stop. Others complain, but she doesn't care because she's desperate. Blood won't stay in her body. She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. Twelve years of trips to the doctors, trips to the hospital, twelve years of being at your wits' end. In fact, we're told in the reading she suffered a great deal from various doctors throughout the years. Doctors who hadn't taken away the disease from her, but had instead taken advantage of her. She'd spent all she had to get better, but instead of getting better, she's getting worse. By the time we reach the end of the story, we discover that she's no health, no money, and there's not even a mention of a family to help. She was unclean according to the law of Moses. Can you see her hand that day in the crowd? The one reaching for the robe of Jesus, that's the hand that no one else would touch but I'm sure if we were to put ourselves in her shoes, that probably wasn't always the case. Surely maybe once a husband had taken it in marriage. Maybe the hand looked a lot different those days, clean, soft, perfumed. Maybe even somebody had once loved that hand. A family maybe had once relied on that hand, but now it's diseased. Maybe her husband had tried to stay with her, carting her to the doctor or the treatment centres, or maybe he gave up quickly, overwhelmed by all that was going on. She's nothing when we reach her this morning in the story. No money, no home, no health. Dilapidated dreams, maybe even dilapidated faith. Unwelcome in the synagogue, unwanted by her very community. For 12 years, she had suffered she is nothing and her health is getting worse can you see her gaunt cheeks tired skin two full moon eyes she's desperate and out of her desperation she comes up with an idea she had heard about this guy called Jesus word among the lepers and the left out is that there is a man called Jesus traveling from town to town and he can heal in fact rumor has it he's coming coming to her very time any day now and he'll be passing by then it happens the day she's been longing for occurs can you see her as she comes to the realization that if only she could touch his clothing that she would be healed the crowd gathers she sees Jesus and his disciples walking along the road her moment has come she scurries along crawling along the ground trying to make her way through the crowd knees bump at her ribs and at every turn she is being pushed out of the way but she doesn't care 12 years of living on the streets has toughened her and she's not going to let this moment pass then it happens Jesus robe is in sight her sick hand extends that tired hand that bruised hand the hand that no one wants to touch. She touches the robe of Jesus. Immediately, the bleeding stops and she feels herself healed. Life rushes into her world in that moment. Pale cheeks turn pink, shallow breaths become full. The woman feels power enter her body. And what of Jesus, he feels power leave. He turns around and asks the crowd, who touched my clothes? His disciples think it a rather odd query. People were pressing all around, each one trying to get closer and closer and closer. Yet, Jesus asks the question, who touched me? I don't know about you, but I'm sure if I was in that situation, and I'm sure the woman that day must have felt more than anxious, would she own up? After all, she knew she was healed, but because she has been healed, she has courage. Knowing that she was the one, she steps forward. She puts her neck on the line and identifies herself as the one who touched his clothes. Indeed, Eugene Peterson in the message tells us that the woman steps forward and tells him the whole story. For years, no one had wanted to hear from that woman, yet in a moment, A moment when one touch for her made all the difference. Suddenly, she is holding court with the King of Glory. For me, anyway, it would seem in this encounter that this woman had been surviving. She'd been making it through day to day. Coping, putting up, shouldering her lot. But in that moment, that one moment, she moves from surviving to living knowing life in its fullest sense. She's healed, restored, ready to face the world with a newfound vigour and hope and a belief that things could and should be different. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with survival. In fact, if you're out in the wild, you need to survive. But surely there's something more, more than meets the eye. Life, a life overflowing, the kind of life that Jesus spoke about I wonder this morning, are you and I surviving or living? In our home lives, are we surviving or living? In our work life, are we surviving or living? In our relationships, are we surviving or living? In our giving, are we surviving or living? In our Christian life, are we surviving or living? This encounter with Christ left this woman living. We have come here this morning to worship God I wonder are you and I going to leave the same way we came in or are we going to leave somewhat different somewhat changed and somewhat restored and somewhat ready to face the week ahead are we going to get out there and live the life that God has planned for us are we going to set aside all that would hinder us are we going to set aside our feelings of unworthiness and shame? Are we ready to get what that woman got, life and life abundantly? Some people have called this woman the faithful thief because she got what she want by daring to combine her overwhelming faith in Jesus with his overwhelming power by stealing a moment of contact with him and believing it would pay off she did she knew it straight away and he knew it too because he turns to her after healing her he doesn't just deal with the medical issue but he turns to her and calls her daughter this woman is no longer a social outcast because now she is known as being owned and close to Jesus this woman this morning was on a journey when Jesus met her I wonder where he will meet you and I today." In the passage that we have shared together, we see how in faith the woman reaches out her hand to touch Jesus. I wonder this morning, what are you and I going to do with our hands when we leave here? Are we going to use them as weapons of mass destruction, hurting others, tearing others down? Or are we prepared? to use them for good. The woman knew that in reaching out her hand, she would encounter new life and healing. Similarly, you and I can use our hands in positive and in negative ways. We can let others experience this love that we have experienced through Christ by using our hands effectively. My granny often tells the story of coming home from work and There was kind of a great rivalry between her and her sister when they were growing up. You know, her sister was that kind of girl that everybody wanted to hang with, you know, that kind of girl that everybody wanted to date, and she was just kind of on the sidelines. But she came home from work, and she envied an awful lot about her sister. One of the things she envied were her sister's hands, because she thought her hands are more delicate, her hands are pretty, you know, look at mine. I bite my nails, they're a bit disgusting. But her mother, suddenly turns to her and says well look at my hands they're beaten up too from all the washing of the dishes and all the cleaning and she turns to her and says if your hands work like these hands have worked you'll never be ashamed of them and i suppose this morning in a way if our hands work as tirelessly for the kingdom as jesus did during his time on earth we'll never be ashamed of them the thought I wish to leave you with this morning is this, that some people reached out to Jesus, but yet he reached out to them all. Regardless of how great or unknown, rich or poor, young or old, sinner or saint, Jesus doesn't seem to care. He cares equally for all. No person is beyond the loving touch of Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling a little low, perhaps even uncertain about the world around you, perhaps your family is in distress. Well, you and I can be like that woman this morning and just reach out to Jesus because he won't be found wanting. I wonder this morning, will you lay hold of God? Will you hold on to him? Will you cling to him? Will you fasten to him? Will you expect him to touch your life today touch him with a hand outstretched in faith touch him with the yearning of a surrendered heart touch him with the cry of a repentant will and touch him with a renewed dedication within he will not turn you aside